Well, good morning, glad you're here. Um, REM did a good job of telling us what our series was there in their song. The series is called Consider This, and um, it's Consider Jesus. That's what Hebrews is about. The author of Hebrews, we don't know who that was necessarily. Some people believe it was Paul, we're not sure. Either way, the early church agreed that it was God-ordained. It was canonized, that means it was put to be a part of not canonized as in shot out of a canon, but canonized as in agreed on to be part of the canon, which is the completion of God's works of Scripture. And so that's the book of Hebrews. This book was written to God's people, Hebrews, that's Israel, Israelites. The author was specifically writing to Jewish Hebrew believers, like Luke shared in his testimony, people that had grown up generations had grown up knowing about God, knowing about the Bible, knowing about the things of God, living in a culture that upheld the things of God in the cultures they grew up in, maybe not the extended culture of the Romans, but at least their home culture of how they tried to grow up and live. And and this letter is written to them because they have drifted away and they no longer are considering Jesus in the way they live their lives. They've stopped considering him. In other words, it's like, yeah, we know Yahweh. We know Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus means, right? That's his name means Yahweh saves. We know that Yahweh saves. We, we even believe that Jesus came and we're glad for that. But you know what? We're not going to make that big a deal out of it. We're not going to do anything that rocks the boat. We're just going to kind of live our life, do what we need to do, make choices, pray about things when we need to, but not really be serious. Because if we take this faith seriously, we're going to get killed. They're either going to be killed by the other Jews that don't believe in what they believe in or the Romans. And so this book is written to people that are, that are literally in that position. That may be you this morning or joining online. It may not be you. Maybe You're someone that doesn't even know, you've never even considered if Jesus really is the Messiah and you just logged on to the podcast or logged on and found us online and now you're here this morning joining with us. Maybe you've known him your whole life. Maybe you can trace back, like the people who would have read this book, you can trace back to your great, 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 great grandpa who was a pastor. Either way, this book is critical for believers I'm glad we're going through this book with what's going on in our world right now because I think it's absolutely essential that we go through it. And and here's the scripture that I think culminates the book of Hebrews. It's Hebrews 3.1. Luke actually just read it. It says, therefore, holy brothers, and or I'm sorry, we'll get to the verse he read in a minute. This one is 3.1. It says, therefore, holy brothers and companions, in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. In other words, he's looking at him and saying, I know you know you're saved. I know you think you're going to heaven. I know you know all, great. Would you please consider Jesus? Because I think you've stopped considering him in some areas of your life. You've gotten comfortable and just been like, well, and you haven't paused to say, I need to consider what he wants and I need to consider what's best for his people, not just what I want and what's best for me. Listen, this has been our problem since the beginning of time as human beings. Okay, is that we don't want to consider Jesus, but we'll consider everything else that's thrown our way. It's amazing to me how many of us will consider everything posted on Facebook for hours and never open our Bible and consider what God has to say. 
We, we are addicts of considering all kinds of stuff and not being committed or nailed down to anything because I don't want to stand out and I don't want to, you know what I'm saying? We are. We're, we're addicted to that. And our enemy, this has been his strategy since the beginning. Since the beginning of time, we have an enemy who decided he did not want us to consider God anymore because he was done considering God. Genesis 3, the first book of the Bible, starts out in verse 1. It shouldn't be verse 3. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Serpent being Satan. Starts out with a serpent in Genesis. It ends with a dragon in Revelation. He's grown. <laughs> he gets bigger. <laughs> okay? And it says... He said to the woman, did God really say? Did he really say? I've got something for you to consider, Eve. I've got something for you to think about. I've got something for you to, at this point, God has only given them one verse. That's it. Be fruitful and multiply. Everything is yours except that tree. Don't eat it. Have a nice life. Only, only command. None of the rest of the 66 books are there, nothing. He's given one order, and we can't do it. She could have, at this moment, did God really say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? She answers and says, well, God told us we can eat from anything except that tree. If we eat from that tree, or if we touch it, and she embellishes the story a little bit, and Satan says, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, consider this, that God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. In other words, consider that God's holding out on you. That's why things aren't working for you. That's why things aren't going the way you want them to go is because God's holding out on you. Or maybe God's people are holding out on you and that's why your life is the way it is. You see, Satan loves to come in, are you ready for this, and build us up. Point us to self, that self is on the throne. I am on the throne of my life. You have to remember, at this point, Jesus is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden because he existed from all eternity. He's walking around in the garden. He is in fellowship with them. Now, he's in a different place because Jesus was in bodily form, so he's not floating around as this, you know, bubble. He was actually physically in one place. Jesus was somewhere. Eve was near the tree. I don't know why she's hanging out near that tree. Maybe she wasn't, but that's what it seems like. Adam goes with Eve to the tree if they weren't at the tree, watches Eve eat, doesn't stop her, which God commanded him to take care of the garden, including Eve, so he doesn't stand up to Eve because you don't want a war in your home, Right? Because ain't mama happy, ain't nobody happy. So you got to keep every, you know, everybody's got to stay happy. And because he, since Adam doesn't stand up and say, don't do that, and then stomp the head of the serpent, be like, no, which the Bible says Jesus will come to do one day is stomp the head of the serpent. Because that didn't happen, they didn't go to Jesus. It would have been real easy to say, wow, that's something new to consider. I've not ever heard that before. How about you give me some time, serpent, to go check with Jesus? I'll go find him. He's wandering around here somewhere. We've got all eternity to find him, but you need to wait before I'm going to take an action on what you're telling me. That's not what Adam and Eve did. It's not what we do. Right? We consider something and we're like, ooh, that's great. Give me an example of this. Very practical example. This is an example you hear from me a lot because this is something that I enjoy and I'm not sure if I should enjoy this or if I should say no to it. And I struggle with it all the time. Yesterday, 
We went to pick up a chair, a chair we ordered eight months ago. We could have had a baby faster than we got this chair, okay? I'm serious. It's crazy. So we, we finally picked up this chair. We're not having a baby, by the way. Say so, Stop. So we went and picked up this chair. We're having a baby. My daughter is, not, not us. And so we pick up the chair. We're bringing it back. And, and Susan's like, hey, I want to stop and get something to eat. And I'm like, no, I don't want to get anything to eat. We've got some really good leftovers at home. I'm looking forward to those leftovers, like healthy leftovers. Well, mostly healthy. There was this corn bacon thing that was completely unhealthy, but it was so good putting that much bacon in corn was awesome. Anyway, so I'm thinking about that food, and Susan's like, no, let's stop. I'm like, okay, we'll stop. I had already considered, I'm, I don't want to eat anything. I'll just wait till we get home. I'll only eat two meals today. That's probably best for me, and it'll be a healthy meal. There's healthy stuff. I, okay, great. We pull up through the Culver's drive through right? We get to the, the sign, and I told Susan, I'm like, I think I'll just get a cone, right? I'm just going to get a cone. She's like, well, I want something to eat. I'm like, I know, that's fine. I'll just get a cone. I got a cone. I got a waffle cone with two giant scoops completely filled to the top. And Susan looks at me, and she goes, you're not hungry? That's bigger than all I'm eating. Well, I said I was just going to get a cone because by the time I got up to the window or to the, to the thing, I saw cone and then under cone was waffle cone and under that was two scoops in a waffle. I'm like, oh, I have a new consideration in my life right now. And that new consideration is a giant waffle cone for lunch. This is heaven on earth. Amen and amen. And so I bought the waffle cone and I enjoyed it. It was wonderful. I didn't have any adverse effects yet, maybe, I don't know. And so, but what I'm saying is I had already considered my day. I had already considered I wasn't going to eat, I was just going to go home. But then the temptation, the thing stood in front of me and all of a sudden I was like, oh, a new consideration, oh, another, oh, I could do this. This is how everything is sold to us like Satan sells today. You go to the car dealership, they sit down with you, you're like, I just want the basic model, I just want, the, well, for this much, we can add, and then we can add, and add, and add, and then we can push those payments out another year. And, oh, well, of course I want all those things, because I don't want to tell you no, I don't want to live by the truth of my bank account, I just want, yeah. And we keep buying it. It's the original sin. And Satan tells them, no, you won't die. And of course, Eve eats the apple, what happens? She doesn't die. Which is why Adam eat. Because if it looks good, it tastes good, others approve of it, and it doesn't necessarily kill you, go ahead and do it. That's exactly what happened. And then it says, God knows that your eyes will know what is good and evil. Listen, up until this point, they only knew the beauty and the glory of good. They only knew good. They only knew blessing. They only knew what, what was true about God and who he was. It wasn't until this moment that they were invited in with the enemy to go down this road. They, make, they made a different consideration. They paid attention to someone and something they shouldn't have been paying attention to, and they drifted. And that's where we're at this morning, attention drift. How many of you have attention drift syndrome? right? I mean, we all do. We live in a culture where we can't pay attention to anything for more than two minutes. That's why all the videos on Facebook are, you know, seconds or if not just a minute long, because we, we literally have engineered a society where we cannot pay attention for more than five minutes. 
And, and if you're one of those parents that make your kids do that, oh, you are going to be so judged. I mean, you are going to be so judged by the world around you and the parents around you. If you actually like make them try to sit still, pay attention, you are going to be like the outcast of society. Now, do some kids have problems and have medical conditions? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I have seen parents, solid Christian parents, who know how to manage that and know how to teach those kids with those issues how to still love God and how to still respect and love people in the midst of their struggle. That's biblical. That's what we should be doing. But instead, we keep considering another medication, another thing, right? How many times do you see parents just shove a device into their kids' hands? Here, be distracted. Like we so are, we do not want to pay attention. All the time we're this way. And it goes back to Genesis. This isn't like some new strategy. It's the same one that's been used. Hebrews 1 or 2, 1 says this. We must therefore pay attention even, or we must pay even more attention to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. The writer of this book is going to lay out the first chapter and he ends right here and he says, therefore, because what we're going to look at real quickly, he says, we must therefore pay even more attention to what we've heard. Heard, not seen. He says heard. That's a lot harder to pay attention to than seeing things. Hearing things is a lot harder to keep your attention than it is to like, do things, especially for men, right? It's a major problem. And he looks and he says, so why should I teach myself? Why should I have a heart to want to hear? And hearing also means obeying, we, we see in scripture. Why? Because if you don't, you'll subtly drift away. It's like you're, you're going to be carried by the current of culture if you're not swimming against it. You will. You'll go where the culture and where the world wants you to go if there's not something in you that pauses at least ports your canoe for a moment and says hey God what do you want do you want me to keep going and that's what he's calling us to do but in our culture everything's focused on self how do I feel how do my emotions what's going on it's not wrong to think of your emotions it's not wrong to look at how you feel but you have to then go back and consider what God says about those emotions what God says about how you feel what he says and to be honest most Christians haven't even ever read their Bible to know what God says because they've been spending their whole life considering what everybody else says and that includes their pastor of their church how about you get in your Bible and tell me I'm wrong if I'm wrong I would love that I've had people do that, praise God. Because they care enough about me to look at me and say, Matt, I don't think you paid careful attention to this. And they've confronted, oh, you're right, I'm sorry. We need that in our lives. That's why we need the body of Christ. Otherwise, we're going to drift. And so we've got to pay attention. Let me ask you this. When you hear something that you're excited about, what do you do? You tell other people to consider what you heard or what you're excited about, right? The first thing you got to do is send a text to a friend. Something happens to you, you're like, oh, I got, I got, oh, I get a text. Uh, oh, I'll text Mark. You know, oh, I'll text Jay. Like, like the first thing we run to is we go to consider. We, oh, consider this. Consider what happened. Consi-. And God's like, I, I wish we had that relationship. 
I wish you and I had that kind of relationship. I wish the church had that kind of relationship with one another. I mean, we will post all kinds of stuff on Facebook, but like these Hebrews, we're scared to death to say things that that we know that will cause people to consider Jesus and then know us and consider that, oh my goodness, they're one of those Christians who actually believes the Bible. We're scared to death of that. He goes on and says this. Jesus said it this way. In Luke, when he was talking about his generation, also our generation, he says, what... To what then should I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? So let me ask you, what's our generation like? What are you like? He answers that. They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. It's emotions. We did all this stuff and we expect a certain response and you're not responding the way that we want you to respond. Notice the children aren't going to their parents. They're calling to one another. They're not going to an authority. They're not going to someone above them. They're they're entertaining each other. And then it says, For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. You see, we just want someone to pay attention to us. Play a flute. Do something so I can get some attention. And some of us are extroverts, so we want lots of people to pay attention to us. We want thousands of people, millions of people to pay attention to us. Some of us are more introverted, and we just want that one person to pay attention to us. But typically, rarely are we saying, do I have God's attention? Does he have my attention? And what's amazing to me is he lists two people here, John the Baptist and Jesus, and he says this, look, With one person, John the Baptist practiced holy self-denial. John the Baptist was a a Nazarene, which means he didn't drink, he 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 had a dietary rule, he didn't cut his hair. He was was overtly, I am going to live a life of self-denial and self-surrender, not to prove anything except to say, God, you have my full attention so that I can give my full attention to the people and call them to repentance. That was John the Baptist. Jesus came and he gave his full attention to the holy calling of grace and being full of grace and being out with the people, not worried about being connected to full grace. Holy grace was Jesus' calling. And in both of these circumstances, the people of his day, both of them, look at them and say, they're wrong. It's evil. You're not like me. You're not, you're not responding the way you should respond. You're too self-denial. You're too grace. Versus saying, well, what does God say? See, John the Baptist didn't say Jesus' ministry was wrong. He, he knew it was different than his. Right? And Jesus was the same way with John. But they knew where they were pointing to, which was salvation in God. Period. And so John sent all of his disciples at the end. He's like, he's the Messiah. You follow him. I'm out. I'm getting my head cut off. And you want to know why John got his head cut off? Because he made a king consider marriage and how God does marriage. John the Baptist didn't get his head cut off for preaching the gospel, as in Jesus is the son of God. John the Baptist got his head cut off because he looked at a king and said, you shouldn't be married to her. It's against the law. And that's why he got his head cut off. Because he took a stand for what God says. And so when, when, 
whenever someone asks us to consider something, is our first response to want to kill them? Let's read on. Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets and in different times and in different ways. God has been trying to get our attention for all of human history. And long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, okay, most of us can tell more Star Wars stories than we can Jesus stories, unfortunately. But a long time ago, God spoke to the fathers. So he, he spoke to those in charge, those that were, that were commissioned to be the fathers of the culture, by the prophets, those given a special calling to speak. And prophets don't mean future telling. Listen, pro- prophecy is not future telling. Prophecy is telling what God says, and that might be future telling. But prophecy is just simply saying, this is what God says. And if you, if you do that, you are being prophetic. If you say, well, this is what, what is written in the Bible, you're being a prophet. That's what that means. And he says, at different times and in different ways. So, so how do we know that God spoke long ago through different times in different ways? Thank you. Brian Hillard gets the prize right there, our youth pastor. Thank you, Brian. He just pointed at the Bible. He's like, it's right there. Now, he doesn't have a Bible. He pointed at his wife's Bible. Let's make that clear. He's got his phone. I mean, this is, I'm just kidding. But, but he point, he's like, there. That's, that's how we know is because God has kept the attention on his word for thousands of years, preserving it miraculously. That is a miracle. About, there is no other thing on this planet more miraculous than the word of God. Not a one. You challenge me on that. I don't care what healing, I don't care what, what natural disaster turns another way. There is nothing more miraculous than that book. Written through men by the power of the Holy Spirit. Passed down accurately. Every time they find new scrolls and try to disprove the book, they give up. You want to know why? Because it proves it right. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls years ago, they thought this is going to be it. The Bible will be undone. They started translating the Dead Sea Scrolls and secular scholars gave up on them because it just kept proving that Bible, the one we have even in English, accurate. So they stopped translating it. And then our Christian universities and Christian scholars had to pick up and take off where they said we're done. See, this is the beauty of our God, is that he is constantly trying any way possible to get our attention, to say, don't drift, come back to me. And he's given us this word as such a precious gift and promise. In Hebrews 2, 1, 2, it says this, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. God says, I, I did everything. You have no excuse based on everything I've done, everything I've given you, everyone I've sent to you. You have no excuse just based on the Bible, but I did more than that. I actually didn't just send you words on a page. I didn't just send you my word through some prophets. I actually sent you the word of God. His name is Jesus. And I actually sent him to you. And I I let him live his life, die on a cross, and come back to life for you. Jesus said this. He said to them, I assure you, he's talking to the religious leaders of his day. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus right there is declaring he is God. 
He said, you, you keep tracing it back to Abraham, and I'm telling you, I'm here now, and I'm the one that spoke to Abraham. I'm the one that spoke to Moses. I'm the one that spoke to the prophets, and I am, the great I am, Yahweh is here now. These guys knew exactly what Jesus said because their response was, at that they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. You see, rather than just humble themselves, just be patient, just, just kind of wait and see if Jesus really was who he says he was, because he was challenging them to consider how wicked they were and how drifted away from God they were, as soon as they considered what he was saying, they wanted to kill him instead of saying, maybe I should consider what he's saying. And we can be the same way. Somebody tells us something we don't want to hear. We don't go to the word of God and consider it. Nope, my mind's been made up. This is what I'm going to do. That's how it is. And I'm looking for anybody that will tell me exactly what I want to hear. And as long as those people tell me, I'm good. I got my group. There are some times when I am so frustrated by how different my wife and I are. Okay? Especially when we're moving furniture, which we had to do yesterday. Because my wife and I always go in opposite directions. It doesn't matter how well I try to communicate, she tries to communicate, more she tries to communicate. It's like, okay, we're going to pick this chair up and we're going to go to the left. Because my left. No, I said my left. It's like, but you want to know what's great about it? What's great about the difference that I have and the differences in how different Susan and I are the one thing we have in common is we, we constantly come back to making decisions in our life, in our marriage, in our church life. In whatever we're doing, we're asking the question, what does Jesus want? Consider what God's word says. And she is great about giving me God's word. <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> like, and I'm just as great as she is. And like, well, what, what about this? And we've learned how to walk through that together in such a way that, that we're trying to find what Jesus wants and what he wants for his people. And Hebrews is being written because there's a guy saying, I'm trying to tell you and consider what God wants for you and what he wants for his people because they're both one and the same. He goes on in Luke 11, it says, Woe to you, Jesus says to these religious leaders, you build monuments to the prophets and your fathers killed them. In other words, you're like, oh, we love what Moses did here, here, and here, and what Abraham did here, here, and here, but we ignore these parts. We kill these parts. It's like, well, your fathers wanted to kill Moses. They wanted to kill, like, well, yeah, but we're not like that. Yeah, you are. You're just, you're like that, so am I. We'd rather kill people. Get them out of our way, not consider what they have to say, not be challenged, and move on with our life, the plans we have that we've established. We're all that way. And that's why you need a body. It's why you need a church. It's why you need people in your life that are willing to, to ask you to consider something different. And you know what? They could be wrong too, and that's okay. And you still walk together, and Susan and I don't agree on everything. We consider things very differently sometimes. And we patiently sometimes just have to wait to see how it plays out for 25 years. We're still waiting on some things to see how it plays out. <laughs> Not sure how it's going to end up. Don't know who's right yet. It might not happen until we get to heaven, and God's like, Matt, you're a dummy. 
But these scriptures, he's like, yeah, you, you looked at those scriptures, but you ignored all these, didn't you? Yes, Lord, I love you. He goes, I know you love you. Come on into heaven. I'll make you perfect. It's fine. <laughs> See, that's the beauty. And he looks and he says, because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them will kill, they will kill and persecute. So that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world. When Jesus left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait to trap him in something he said. This is always how it works. You ask someone to consider something, and if they're not open to consider it, if they're not open to consider it, you come with the word of God. I'm not saying consider Brussels sprouts are really good. I got my son to consider Brussels sprouts for the first time this week, right? I love Brussels sprouts. I'm the only human being in my home that loves Brussels sprouts. My wife bought me Brussels sprouts because she considered me and bought me Brussels sprouts. That was so nice of her. And my son had Brussels sprouts. I don't think he's going to eat Brussels sprouts again. I think he considered them, and they're done, and that's okay. Right? There are other vegetables. There are other people in our church that won't consider green beans. And I know who those people are, and you know who you are. Some of you peas. You won't consider peas. I I mean, I get it. What we're talking about is something spiritual where Jesus, because he loves these men, and he loves the people these men are in authority over, he has stepped in, he's given them the word of God, and said, you've got to consider how you're living your life and what you're doing. Don't do this. Don't do this. And he's done that. And again, their first response isn't to pause and go, man, he might be right. Their first response is, if we consider this, we're going to lose control. Let me say that again. Their first response is, if we consider this, we're going to lose control. That's the point. God wants control of your life. He wants control of my life. And to consider that panics us. You want to know why? Just like Adam and Eve in the original lie, we don't know if God is good or not. We think God's holding out on us. And so I don't want to hear what he has to say. I'm not going to consider that because I'm already comfortable. I'm already done what I need to do. And this is, this is of God because it's working. It may not be, God says. He wants us to consider him in our decisions, our relationship. And then what happens? Once they start attacking and oppose him fiercely, and they oppose him to other people, they start spreading the opposition around. Well, he this, he that, she this, she that. You know, all this kind of stuff. Now they're just waiting for you to mess up. They're just waiting for Jesus to see one mess up. And if I see one mess up, then I can, we can kill him because prophets can't mess up, even though they mess up all the time. And then they make sacrifices for themselves in the temple. He says they were lying in wait. There's a difference between warning people because you love them and lying in wait for them to mess up and being like, ha-ha, gotcha. There's a difference. And the difference is the heart. Is your heart, I love these people. I got to tell them, I, here's the word. I'm, I'm concerned about this. I'm praying for you. You don't have to do what I tell you to do. I just, I just want to make this known and you can consider this. I could be wrong. Here it is. I, and I'll walk with you as long as you need to be walked with till we figure this out. Like we'll walk together in it. Do you know how our divorce rate would plummet if that was the attitude of people going into marriage? 
They saw marriage as Christ's relationship with his church. That I submit to Christ, the, the wife submits to the husband, the children submit to the parent. Like If we'd order our lives according to what God says, instead of constantly saying, well, we'll consider this. There are abusive husbands in the world. I, yeah, I agree. That doesn't negate God's word. It just means he's an idiot and he needs to be confronted and he needs to be held accountable. But yet we want to just throw out all of God's word because, well, consider this little thing. In Hebrews 1, it goes on, it says, The Son of Man is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God says, It was his full desire for all glory to dwell in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the the Son's glory is going to be made known to man. And he says, The Son's radiance, we just sang about light, right? In the song we just sang, his radiance is going to shine and Jesus is the exact expression. The Bible is not the exact expression. It is a picture that points us to the exact expression. The Bible points us to the coming of Christ, both the first time and then the second time. That's the point of the book. And he says, all the word is to point to that. And if that's not your attention, if your attention is not dead set on someone else needs to save me, I can't save myself, you will drift to saving yourself. That's what was happening to the Hebrew church and these Hebrews that this was written to. They started drifting back to looking for a Messiah and stopped believing Jesus was the Messiah. They were looking for something to save them instead of saying, no, 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 we've already found what can save us. It doesn't matter what circumstances we go through. We've got to stay focused on that. He goes on and says this. Colossians 1 says this about Jesus. He says, we have redemption. That means he's bought us back. We don't deserve to be bought back. We we make ourselves slaves to things. We're a mess. And the Bible says he purchased us because he loved us so much. He wanted to get our attention that he showed up at the slave market, right? And when nobody wanted to bid on us, when we were at rock bottom prices standing up there like we used to do in this country and they still do all around the world, selling and buying slaves, it's what's getting ready to happen in Afghanistan right now because they're going to sell girls to the top bidders. That's what's going to go on when this goes down. And when we were standing there helpless, not able to save ourselves, and we knew it, we considered that that's what life is, Jesus showed up at the slave market and said, I'll pay pay everything. I will give everything for that person. I'll lay it down. They are mine. Well, would you pay this much? Yep. This much? Yep. This much? Yes. Because I have all the resources in the world because I'm God. (laughs) That's Jesus. And it says he bought us for the forgiveness of sins in him. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Jesus in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you realize that scientists still can't explain why the atom doesn't collapse? They don't know. They've come up with theories. And they'll tell you that those theories are scientific law or fact, but they're not. 
There are negative particles, there are neutral particles, and there are positive particles within an atom. Electrons, neutrons, right? That's what it is. Protons, three things. Negative and positive come together. And somehow, they perfectly hold apart. So that every single piece of matter, anything we can see with our physical eyes, something is holding it together, and scientists have come up with a term called gluons. They're, they're gluons, and they're glued on to the particles to balance everything out. Okay, Jesus is a gluon. I can, I can, I'm on board. Yeah. Jesus is the gluon. Because he said thousands of years ago he was the one. You can try to study matter and science till you're blue in the face, but at the end of the day, the only thing you're going to be left with is a false hope and something else needs to save me because this atom isn't stable. And it scares the bejeebers out of me when I look at it and I do not understand it. Okay, well, would you consider that God's the one holding it together? No. I cannot consider it some kind of being out there. You know, like Jason the other day was talking about his iPhone and Coda was discouraging me because I was encouraging Jason to keep talking about it and Coda was like, stop. I don't, no, don't, don't let my dad keep talking about this. He does this all the time. I'm done hearing it, right? Like kids, that's, that's what kids do because they hear us the same thing over and over and over again from us, right? And they're like, I don't know if this is true. I mean, my dad says it all the time. Like, it's fine. And Jason's explaining and he looks at the iPhone, he pulls it up and he goes, I do not believe Steve Jobs existed. Even though I have an iPhone. I think he was a figment of imagination. There was no Steve Jobs. Well, but we have writings from him. We have pictures of him. We got stuff. I know I don't believe those things. I've not met Steve Jobs in person. He's not here right now, so I do not believe. I think this iPhone just randomly came together through the atoms and everything just came and fit perfectly. It's a miracle. And Jason is walking through this. He went way more in depth. He used a lot bigger terms than I do because he's a computer guy. And so anyway... And he walks, but that's us. We refuse to just say, hey, as I'm discovering these crazy things about science, it should point us back to how crazy God is, how awesome God is. And instead, we look for things. We try to trap like they tried to trap Jesus. We look for things to say, oh, see, that's why I can do this. Oh, that's why it's not this. Oh, we try to find a way out instead of finding a way into Christ. We try to find a way out of his body instead of finding a way into his body. We're constantly looking to run from God instead of run to him, which is exactly what happened in Genesis. When they took the fruit, they bit it, they were confronted, and God said, where are you? He knew where they were. It's like playing hide-and-seek with a one-year-old, two-year-old, right? They're hiding literally in the middle of the floor going like this and laughing. Ha, 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 And you're like, I can't find you anywhere, and you're wandering around, right? That's what God was doing. I see you. Hello? And right there, they finally come out and like, oh, we're here. Who told you you were naked? Well, we, did you eat the fruit? Yeah. I mean, I watched videos this week real quickly online, and it was this young kid who had gotten into a bag of flour <laughs> in his house. And he had... He, and he was, he, was, he, was, he was still in diapers, and he had figured out how to get up on the counter and get the paper towels down, and he was wiping the flour with dry paper towels. And this mom is like walking through the house, seeing the havoc. It is flour. I mean, I've never seen that much flour 
It was amazing. This kid did a great job. And I mean, there was flour. And then she's walking through and she's like, okay, just stop cleaning it up. You're making it worse. She's like, no, I'll do it. And he's on the floor and he's cleaning it up. And then all of a sudden she turns around and the dog that's black is covered in flour. Like he poured it on the dog. And she's like, what did you do to the dog? That's who we are. We won't stop and consider I'm making a mess. We'll just keep making it until finally someone comes and says, you made a mess. And you're like, oh, you're right. And then we scramble to try to clean it up instead of just saying, I'm sorry, I, I can't clean this up. I'm just, I'm just too. I don't know what I'm going to do. Will, will you help me? I'm sorry. Yeah. That's our God. There's no other God like it in the scriptures. It's such an amazing thing. And it says he holds everything. Hebrews 1 says, after making purifications for sin, Jesus purified our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. It means it's finished. I'm done. I've done my work. I'm sitting down. He says, so he became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to, superior to theirs. For which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he again brings his firstborn into the world, he says, and all God's angels must worship him. By the way, the writer of Hebrews here just quoted Psalm 2-7, 2 Samuel 7-14, and 1 Chronicles 17-13 that we looked at over the summer. See, to back up his argument, what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's going back and he's grabbing scripture for you to consider. He's not saying, this is what I believe, this is what I think, this is what I see. See, that's how we've even been trained to do evangelism. Don't. Say, well, this is what God says. This is what's written. Like, like the, the scripture that changed my life was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And when I read it, I realized this is real. It's alive, it's living, and it changed me. Because this I believe what I think doesn't change anybody. See, those are words that don't make you be confrontational. Well, what I believe and what you believe, actually there's someone that tells us exactly how he wants us to believe if we'll just listen. And I know that's offensive to you, but it's, it's what he says. And I know it's messy. Sometimes there are gray areas we don't really know, but you can trust him in those gray areas to do the things he has said he wants you to know to do. Keep doing those things and the gray areas he'll help you figure out. And he looks and he says these words. Oh, and by the way, most of us would listen to an angel if it showed up. Can you imagine if an angel showed up in your car today while you're driving home, right? How many of you have seen uh, Evan Almighty, right, where he builds the boat, right? And, and uh, Morgan Freeman keeps showing up, right? And he can't get rid of him. Shows up in his car. Animals are showing up. It's just crazy, and God says, I've been doing that for all of human history. And your response is just like the movie. I've even delivered all the resources you need to your yard. And you're like, I'm not doing that. Because we know we're going to look like a fool if we do. Because the world, God is foolish to the world. And so you have this picture where, where, where and if an angel came, we would probably be people that would say, oh yeah, I believe in that. I, I believe in the angel. I'll listen to the angel. Do you want to know how we have the mess we have in Afghanistan right now? Let's go back a few thousand years. You ready for this? An angel, supposedly the angel Gabriel, showed up to a man named Muhammad. And he said to Muhammad, 
What the Bible says about Isaac being the promised child is wrong. You need to consider that your heritage, going back to Ishmael, is what's true. And then I'll tell you what Ishmael's descendants should do to kill Isaac's descendants and anyone who would side with that side. And we are still fighting a war over that today, and we will until Jesus comes back. Because a someone listened to an angel instead of listening to God's words, instead of looking at Jesus and considering Jesus, Jesus is just a prophet. He's not the son of God. And we have people literally dying by the tens of thousands, if not millions, around the world because they're considering something, because something got their attention that caused them to drift off course, and they have continued to go on that drift and follow that pattern, and it's wicked. Oh, and by the way, we're called to pray for those people. That God would save them. He would reveal himself to them. That through those that are being martyred right now in Afghanistan and being killed because they're gathering like this today. They're not afraid of a disease. They're literally going to have people come in and might get a disease. They're literally going to have people come in with guns and shoot everyone in the home and steal their daughters to put them in forced marriages with Islamic militants, and they're still meeting, praying, and seeking Jesus. They have considered Jesus, they've considered the cost, and they are not going to save their lives. They're going to give their lives. And hopefully, their captors will see that, and hopefully, they'll consider Jesus. Hopefully, that will get their attention. goes on to say this, And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth. The heavens are the works of your hands. We just sang that. And they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. These masks will be gone someday. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like a robe. But you're the same, and your years will never end. Again, this is a direct quote of Psalm 102. The author is using scripture to back up scripture. He's saying, consider this because it was considered before. It was written down. He goes on, uses more scripture. And he says, now to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? If Muhammad would have read this verse, he would have never thought he was listening to the angel Gabriel. He would have figured out he was listening to a demon who appears as an angel of light, which the Bible says is how Satan does his work. It says the Bible says Satan will appear as an angel of light. That's the point. And he lies. He's the father of lies. So he'll lie. I'm Gabriel. I'm light. See? No, you're Satan because you're going against what God said. And he said this. He goes on and says this. He says in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1, we must therefore pay more attention to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. In other words, if they didn't pay attention because of everything that happened, would you please pay attention? Because God's people don't pay attention. They get stiff-necked and they wander off. And the author is writing this and he's saying, please pay attention to what's happened before. Please look back. Don't be deceived. We have an enemy that has made the words of God boring and burdensome. And at the same time, tune in. He has made the words of billions of people on social media worth reading, reposting, and even purchasing. Word of God, boring and burdensome. Oh, but boy, I really like Newsmax. CNN's my station. Fox. 
this doctor, that doctor, this thing, that thing. What about God's word? What about what he says? Like, our enemy is crafty. Then he goes on, he says, For if the message spoken through the angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, this is all true. He's saying these things are true, and if they are true, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If God sent Satan away from him, if God's going to make the angels who turned against him to burn forever, how are we not going to be held responsible as well? We've done the same stuff. That's why our salvation is so great. It's because we can't save ourselves and we go, God, we should be like them. We deserve what, but thank you that you've done something we couldn't do for ourselves. That you saved us and that you've promised us that you've got my attention. You have my attention. Help me not drift. Romans 1 says, For wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. Again, the Adam. As a result, people are without excuse. So we were without excuse, and then when Jesus came and did what he did to prove everything in the Old Testament was right, and to prove that he's the only one that's ever come back from the dead, and he proves he has the power, if we ignore that, there's no hope for you or for me. None. And God's like, please... In Hebrews, please consider this. How much more will God have to do to get your attention, to get my attention? All that he's done. Hebrews goes on. It says, it was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. In other words, do you believe that you can believe because of what you've heard? Or you have to see by seeing? Because if it's seeing, then you don't have faith, the Bible says. See, faith is saying, I believe I believe because I believe that God speaks. At the same time, God who testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. God says, look, for all of eternity, from Genesis, I walked with you. Then I sent people to speak to you. I sent miracles. I've done signs. We have, it all, we have a lot of it written down, but not all God's done is written down. I've done everything I can to get your attention. And in the end, I sent you my son and you killed him because you didn't want to consider it. And you didn't want to do what I've asked you to do. And you didn't want to believe that I could love you and that you could have grace and that you could walk in this life free from the burdens that the people around you carry and they hide them really well. And he says, I don't want you to live like that. I want you to live free. And then he says, not only have I given you all these things, signs, wonders, everything I could show you, all of my power, I've done everything I can. He goes, not only have I done that, but I've actually sent you the third person in my family, the Trinity. I've sent him into your heart if you're a believer, and I've sent him to convict the world of sin. I have given you a power that you don't even begin to understand or have tapped into because you keep running to other power sources. And so, so the writer is walking through considering these things and he gets to here and he goes, man, you've got to consider the Holy Spirit. You've got to consider how the Spirit, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there with them. That I'm, I'm trying to, to get your attention through one another and through all these things I've done. But see, 
We look at the Holy Spirit and go, yeah, that's hard to figure out. Most, most Christians don't even know about the theology of the Holy Spirit. They don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. But boy, do they want a miracle. Do they want a sign? Do they want a wonder? The fact that the Holy Spirit can reside in your heart and you're not dead is a miracle because anytime the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, we'll see in Hebrews later, you know what happened to him? If he had one sin on him, he forgot to repent. He dropped dead. They put bells on his robe and they tied a rope to his foot when he went into the Holy of Holies and they would pull on it to make sure he was still alive while he was in there and if the bells rang, he'd ring back because you don't want to speak while you're in there, right? Then they go, okay, he's not dead. He gave us a tug back. If they tugged and no bells rang and it was really hard to tug and he didn't tug back, they pulled his dead body out of the Holy of Holies where the Holy Spirit was. God has said, I have made a way to have the Holy Spirit reside in you and Jesus is constantly being our high priest intercessing for us so that we don't have to worry about being killed because he loves us so much and he wants us to be close to him in his presence. That is a miracle of miracles of miracles. That's crazy. Islam teaches that God is far off. He is not loving. You just submit to him. That's what Islam means. Submit. Our God says, everyone's going to have to submit, which is why I love It's why I've given myself and given my grace. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit next week. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him. Not might love him if he keeps my word enough. If he does all the right things. No, just continue to go back to me. Continue to consider my words. And we will come and make our home with him. That's your heart. That's tabernacle. The word there is not home. It's tabernacle. We will come and actually build a tabernacle to meet with him. And then it says, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. You won't keep them. You'll just keep drifting versus stopping and saying, God, help me. I don't want to keep drifting. I don't want to keep disobeying you. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor. I love that the Holy Spirit's called a counselor. It's not a soldier. It's not a general. The counselor is going to come along. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? You ready for this? The Holy Spirit does this. Hey, Matt, um, consider Jesus. And I go, no. <laughs> and he's like, um, he died for the stupid thing you're getting ready to do. <laughs> and he's going to forgive you because he loves you. Could you consider him before the stupid thing you do? No. Hey, Matt, you did the stupid thing. You need to consider what Jesus did for you. You need to confess that. You need to ask him to help you. Okay. He's a counselor. It goes on, it says, the Father will send him in my name. In other words, the Holy Spirit's only role is to point you to Jesus. That's it. That's his role. It's to get you to consider Jesus. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told him, Jesus says. As we wrap up, I'll leave you with this. We must therefore pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. Let me ask you, how's your attention? How's your attention? 
where are the areas of in your life that you tend to drift without giving God permission to speak into them? We all have them. I have them. And I'm grateful that God has given me a wife. He's given me children who walk with him. He's given me a body of Christ and people who walk with him who will confront me when I'm drifting. That will call me to the attention of considering Jesus. Because that's what the point is in this world. That right now there are people in Afghanistan that are holding hands, praying together in homes, saying, we are going to consider this and we're not leaving. We've considered it and we will die. Because we're going to die anyway. Might as well die for the right reason. And would we lay our lives down like that on a daily basis? Would we consider the word of God? We would consider everything God has done that when we look at our majors and what we major in and what we're learning, would we see and consider Jesus in what we're learning? And would that be on our lips with other people that instead of just saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, we would look at them and say, this is why I wouldn't do that because I consider Jesus. I consider God's word, which Jesus wrote because he is the word. If we would have more conversations like that, I think God would be a lot more pleased. And he get a lot more glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book of Hebrews that was written to believers. It was written to believers who were struggling in the world they lived in with living out the truth about their faith. They, they had to consider every day what they were going to do and how they were going to live their lives because the cost was so great. And Lord, we're no different today. Lord, the cost is great to actually making you Lord right now. The cost is great to actually humbling ourselves, to not walk in pride, but to walk in humility to make you known to other people. The cost is great. The cost is great to ask people to consider what you say in your word, even if we do it lovingly and compassionately like you did. Oftentimes people will reject, but Lord, here's the beauty. The reason you gave us the word and the reason that you call us to be your people that go out, the reason that you want us to have your attention and you don't want us to drift is because you want to use us, just like you used Moses and Abraham, to be your witness to the world. You want to show us in our heart how wonderful you are, like Moses and Abraham long to just want to know you and be in your presence. Lord, I pray that would be our heart. And Lord, I pray that if anyone tuning in right now has not considered you, they've not surrendered their life to you and considered that you really are the God of the universe who has authority over all creation, I pray that they would take some time to consider that. Lord, you have their attention right now. I pray that they would give you that attention for a while and they would taste and see if you aren't good. And Lord, I pray that you'd help those of us who are here not to drift. And if we do find ourselves drifting, I pray that other people would we'd, we'd grab, we'd throw a rope out, we'd try to help people to stop drifting. And for those of us who are drifting, I pray that at, at a minimum, we just park the canoe to the side for a moment before we go any further and consider you. Pray all this in your name. Amen.